Good morning, church. Welcome to the last day of 2023. Y'all are real excited about making it this far, I can tell. So it's the last Sunday of the year. It's also the first one after all those Christmas services, right? So the Sunday after Christmas is also when us third string preachers get called up to the big leagues. So, so all the other pastors have opted out for the bowl game, and now you have me, but no. Seriously, though, this is the day. I was going to make a Florida State joke there, but I got a little sensitive after the ball game last night, so I marked that out. But seriously, though, this is the day we look back on the good and, and, and well, the bad of the year, but still looking optimistically at the year to come. It's also the day when most of you will stay up way past your bedtimes tonight. Uh, now, my southern friends will put something called fat back in a crock pot tomorrow morning with some black-eyed peas, then later on, I will eat just enough of turnip greens to have what they call good luck in 2024. Y'all all know what I'm talking about. If you don't like turnip greens, two bites should cover you for the year. Um, if you're like me, also, this is the time when my wife and I discuss the holidays. We call it the debrief, right? And we ask ourselves, are they really part of our family? Do they have to come every year? Listen, if you don't do that, then the family's talking about you. Okay, just so you know. We all have those family members that, well, honestly, they're just hard to love. You want to be welcoming. You want to be the open arms and all that, but man, it's just hard. One person in my small group said that she was praying for their Thanksgiving get-together because of a particular family member. I can't let that go. So I lovingly asked, what, was so, what made them so hard to love? And she looked up with tears in her eyes, and she said, they married a Yankee. <laughs> Glad I didn't get invited to that one. But seriously, family's a tough thing to talk about. I mean, we have them, right? We're thankful for them. We love them, mostly because Jesus told us we had to. But there's always something or someone that makes it very difficult. Maybe you had an interaction with them, you just haven't let go, or an argument, or perhaps they did something that legitimately was wrong and it was not right. We all have people in our family that fall into those categories. As we look today at Jesus' earthly ancestry, he had them too. We'll dig into this lineage and see how our past can truly affect not just our present, but also our future. Before we dig in, let me take a minute to introduce myself. My name's Steve. I get to be one of the pastors here at Newark Fellowship. I am glad you're here. If you've got one of those listening guides, please fill out the QR, scan the QR code, fill out that digital connect card. You also got it in a text and an email this morning as well. There you can put your prayer requests, your praises, all those things. And friends, when I tell you we pray as a team over those every Monday morning, they are sent out to all the elders and the pastors, and we pray over your prayer request. You may have been even contacted by an elder or a pastor. Let them know that they're praying for you. But we do that from filling out that Connect card. We're going to be in a couple places of Scripture today. So first, I want you to turn to Hebrews 12. But put your little bookmark there because we're coming back, okay? We're coming back to there. For now, turn me to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Now, this is Matthew's recount of the people in Jesus' earthly ancestry. Now, understand, he's the Son of God and the God incarnate, right? His Father is our Father. But according to the covenant that God made back in what we call the Old Testament, Jesus had to come through a certain line of people, specifically the line of King David. So Matthew recounts this line before he begins to tell the story of his birth. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 1. 
And it says, and go with me as I stumble through the Hebrew names. Um, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Coming back to that. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father, of, this is the good one, and Nimadad. Ademidah was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon, or Salmon if you're from deep south. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Coming back to that. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. See, Matthew goes all the way back to Abraham because every Jew associated their lineage with being uh, a son of Father Abraham. And he comes all the way back later in the verses to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. But I want to look at these three specific names that show up in the lineage of Christ. In your outline, there's these three names and a place to write down the Old Testament passage where they first appear. Because this is family worship. We can't really dig into their less than spotless upbringing in front of the kids, okay? So parents, we talk about discipleship begins at home. You get to explain to them why Pastor Steve didn't talk about them in service. So... Um, you guys get to deal with it. These people have a past. These three people have a past. And friends, it's scandalous. It's stuff you'd ask for a prayer request about. The first is Tamar. She's the daughter-in-law of Judah and is mentioned in verse 3 of Matthew 1. Judah's descendants was one of the original 12 tribes of Israel. Now, to explain this to the kids, it's in Genesis 38. So just write in there, Genesis 38. The next name is Rahab. That one's a little more famous. Some of you adults, if you've been in church for a while, you know what Rahab did for a living. You can explain to your kiddos about that in jo by reading the Bible in Joshua chapter 2. But if you notice there, she was the mother of Boaz. Boaz was the guy who married Ruth and saved Ruth's life and Naomi's life and redeemed them in that book of Ruth. The next name, just five generations later, we see that name Bathsheba. You notice nobody names their kids Tamar, Judas, Bathsheba, Rahab. Well, she was the mom of Solomon, the wisest man we believe on earth. Her journey into that lineage was not without controversy as well. Again, you can explain that to the kids in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But there are 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. And friends, there are way more names in there that you would not invite to your Christmas dinner. But why is the lineage so important? Because the Old Testament lists 60 plus prophecies about Jesus' earthly ancestry alone. 60 plus times it says Jesus has to come through this line of people. It had to be that way to fulfill those prophecies. Now, while Jesus' great, great, great earthly grandparents may be just to fulfill a prophecy, they had a past. But their past never changed his mission. As people, followers, non-believers alike, we can allow our past or what we've done to hold us back or maybe even change the way we live today and look toward the future. We all have a past. We've all made bad decisions. Some of those decisions were so bad, they still affect your life today. Some of those decisions were bad at the time, but they were just hairstyles or outfits you made at the time you thought was cool. And at that time, they seemed like a great idea. Here's an example of one.
we'll let that marinate a minute. <laughs> Told y'all, I had hair once upon a time. Decisions didn't get any better either as I got older. <laughs> You're welcome. If you had this sweater and that haircut, you took ibuprofen before you came to church this morning. <laughs> right now, I look at those pictures and I go, man, those were terrible decisions, but I just want my hair back. Now, my, my siblings were not immune to this either. I have one older brother, and this is him. <laughs> he doesn't live here, so if somebody named Jeff Buttram asked, that never happened. Um, despite the Western theme, he is not and never will be a cowboy. Um, listen, y'all all laugh if you want to. Some of you glad I didn't have access to your photos. And I'll be honest with you, I did stalk some Facebook pages to see what I could find. Some of you lost more hair than I did. So, listen, my choices for school picture day, they, they make for a good laugh. But that bad outfit, that terrible haircut doesn't change who I am and what God made me to be. Every one of us in this room, everybody watching online, have an obligation to move past our past. God moved by it. If he doesn't hold it against you, how on earth can you allow it to hinder our present and our future? Listen, there's three things I want us to discuss about how we do get past the past. The first thing is this. Your past is part of you, not all of who you are. Those photos are part of who I am, and I found them cleaning out mom's stuff. Clearly, I don't look like that now. Praise the Lord. Uh, but humanity itself has a history of making terrible decisions over and over again. We see it in Jesus' earthly ancestry. The Bible even acknowledges that humanity has a terrible past and will continue to make terrible decisions. After the waters of the great flood, God makes a promise to Noah and to us in Genesis 8, 21. He says this, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Why did he curse the ground? The human race, us. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood. God himself says at the end of the verse that from the beginning of childhood, humanity makes terrible decisions. There was no doubt that God knew our past would be full of sin. From the day humanity gets banished from the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, we have needed a Savior because of our past. But our past is not all of who we are. Regardless of our past, we have the choice of following Jesus. Look what Peter called Christ's followers. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you're not like that, for you're a chosen people. You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The that is disobedience. When we choose to obey Christ, we become part of him. We become his family, his very own possession. I am his and he is mine. Can I show you what the darkness is? Your past. All those transgressions, all those things you did wrong all over your life, those, those things you thought God could never forgive you for, he does. He will. You get to accept this unconditional all-encompassing love and grace that became available the moment he walked out of that grave. 
Please don't leave this building today. Please don't turn off the stream today without knowing of the assurance that your past, your present, and your future is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Come talk to me. I'll be out in the comments. Talk to another pastor or an elder, somebody. Jesus and I both want you in this family. Speaking of family, I lost my mom this year. One thing mom did not like to do <laughs> was, re was repeat herself. I get that. That's been passed down to me. Now, if you have me as a child, not repeating yourself is a boundary that I'm going to push because I was not a good listener, nor did I pay attention. She would often say these words, I done told you. Now, her grammar wasn't great, okay? But her method of teaching was, she would often ask my brother and I after we did something dumb, less than smart, uh, what did we learn from it? Now, my mom was a little petty on that part because she followed it up with, I told you. Then she'd follow up with those loving words that she said even before she passed away, you'll be all right eventually. Mom made sure her boys learned from the past, but she also didn't mention our past mistakes either. You can't completely disregard your past. I mean, it's still there. There are things in my past that I learned from and continue to learn from from this day. For example... I know from past experience that if I drive over the speed limit, I will get a gift from what's called law enforcement. That gift is called a ticket, and it's not for some sort of drawing, by the way. It, is, it gives you the ability to give your hard-on money to somebody else because of your past. But that brings us to a second point about getting past the past. You can learn from your past. Just don't lean on your past. Think of it this way. You ever burn food while cooking? I'm not talking about singe it. I'm talking about, like, throw it out burned, right? Did you quit cooking entirely? Probably not, despite maybe the pleas from your family. Um, we can learn from our mistakes, but we cannot let, let those mistakes hold us back from serving God and one another. The Apostle Paul had a past and a very, very violent one. We see him standing at the execution of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. In verse 1 of chapter 8, Luke writes that Saul even gave his approval to that execution. Paul learned from his past. And you know what he did with it? He used it as a testimony to what God could do. Right after his interaction with Jesus on the Damascus Road, Saul gets to work in Acts chapter 9. In verse 22, Luke writes, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. At this point, he's still Saul. We haven't changed his name to Paul yet. He's preaching this message of Jesus, the Messiah, so well that the Jews, his people, his former employers, cannot refute the evidence that Christ is the Messiah. But his past is still very much fresh in the minds of the people. Everybody still knows who he is and what he did. Paul knew him. Paul knew who changed him on that road. And now that he was changed, his goal was to tell everybody about the forgiveness of their past with this good news called Jesus. You may remember this movie, The Lion King. Everybody may remember that one? Listen, I'm not as brave as Cliff, so I won't be doing any singing, okay? You're all welcome. Uh, my family owned this movie on VHS. Kids, ask your parents. Um, there's a scene in the movie where the main character, Simba, Gets, uh, has an interaction with this guy, Rafiki. Now, I can't show you the clip because of copyright regulations, but you can see it on YouTube or watching the movie. 
Rafiki's kind of this wise man of the pride. Simba complains that he's running from his past, and going back home means that he'd have to face that past. Rafiki hits him on the head. And when Simba asks why, he replies, it doesn't matter. It's in the past. He tells Simba that you can run from your past, or you can learn from it. Listen, your past doesn't go away, but it is forgiven and can be valuable to our present and to our future if we choose to learn from it. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you don't have a, a checkered past. You went to Awanas, RAs, and all the other programs. Or maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you came today because someone said the music's great. Or maybe that coworker said, if you come today, the message is short, and I'll buy you brunch or lunch afterwards. Surprise, it's 30 minutes long. It's not that short. The tech booth just cringed a little. Um, but I want you to hear what Jesus says to you. If you've never been in church till today, if you've never watched online until today, I want you to hear what he says to you. He says, come, follow me. He does not say, do better, make some resolutions, then come back when you get to be a better person. He does not say, when you get sober, when you stop cussing or you quit any bad habits, then you can come back to me and then you'll be good enough. Jesus says, you're good enough right now to be my child right now today. Follow me right now. Your past doesn't matter to him. He has a place for you by his side in his father's own house. He said so in John 14 that he's preparing a place for us together forever in heaven. There's not cordon off sections for people that went to Awanas and the cordon off sections for people that never went to church. It's all of us together. In the book Abide in Christ, Andrew Murray makes the point that the most heavily laden branches bow the lowest down. Murray's making this case for the worse your past, the closer you are to being near God. Even if your past is awful, shameful, terrible. Friends, can you hear me when I say God still wants you? He wants a relationship with you to literally give you a future and a hope. So what do I do to get past my past? I've told you that it's not all of who you are, and that we should learn from it but not lean on it. That brings us to our third thing. There is no future in the past. There is no future in the past. In Jeremiah, God writes to the prophet that despite the Israelites' past, he has plans for them to give them what? A future and a hope. They're in the middle of exile from their home. They've been taken captive by an evil nation. And God says, I have plans for you for a future and a hope. As we look forward to 2024, which starts in less than 24 hours, we hope for a better year. 2023 may have been great. may have been awful. But hope is not in 2023. Hope is in 2024. And hope in 2024 begins with a life in Jesus. Remember when I said bookmark Hebrews 12? Let's go back there. We're going to look at verse 1 and part of verse 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. In your Bible, there's a circle of part that says strip off every weight. Whatever it is that's holding you back, get rid of it. It might be bad habits. Might be bad behavior. Might even be a bad relationship. But whatever holds you back from getting closer to God, you have to get rid of it. Then the writer says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Maybe that's something from your past that keeps showing up in your present. If so, it's harming your future. Holding on to your past is also harming your witness as a believer. Look at the very first part of verse 1. Since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses. The great witnesses he's talking about are all the people of faith from what you and I call the Old Testament. The same... The chapter just before there, chapter 11, is a book of the great heroes of faith before coming into this chapter 12. By the way, one of the great heroes of faith mentioned in that very chapter is that name, Rahab. The same Rahab with the very checkered past that we talked about from Joshua and from Matthew. The writer of Hebrews is asking you and he's asking me, what are we going to do with what God has given us? I like the way the message paraphrased this passage. Check this out. Do you know what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. We had better get on with it. I like that paraphrase of it. I'm also glad they included spiritual fat, not physical fat. But what's the hurry? I mean, why, why do we need to get on with it? Why do we need to get going? We got all kinds of time, right? Why is there this big sense of urgency? Because there are people watching you, other than these great cloud of witnesses. These people are watching to see why they should even bother with this Jesus thing. I mean, what's in it for them? Heaven is a great reason. But people honestly ask, what about right now? I know as Christians we think, well, just Jesus. That's why, just Jesus. But if you've never grew up in church, if, you don't, if you've never been around faith, you, you don't know why you should. You hear about this hell thing and you hear about heaven, but what is it right now that I need Jesus for? I'm going to ask you a question. What is it right now in your present that makes people want a future with Jesus. If we truly represent Christ, would he be pleased with how we do it? We as Christ followers must run this race of this life focused on one thing and one thing alone. That's the champion, Jesus. Act like him. Treat others the way he would treat them. Love like him. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, all of them, even Judas. And he said something then about how our future should look now. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. We need to understand that Jesus' request was not that we just love, 
but that we act like him in our love. He said, just as I have loved you. To put it another way, he says, do the same things I do. Do it the same way. Serve one another the way he would serve them, not the way you think they should be served. Jesus said the way we love others, the manner in which we're the way we love others. Let me, let me clarify here, not how much you say you love others, but your actual actions of how you love others will show the world whether or not you're a disciple of his. That's hard. Because like I said when we started, there's all people in our lives that are hard to love. But loving in the same way Jesus did and does is the way forward past our past. You know why the windshield of your vehicle is bigger than the back glass or the mirrors? We're made to look forward more than we look back. When we look forward, Hebrews says to remain focused on King Jesus and what he has for your life. Get past your past. Work for the kingdom in the present and the future. Let me say this again. Jesus is not dissuaded because of what you've done before. Nor is his love conditional on what you do tomorrow. Those three people we mentioned at the start of service, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba, man, they all had a crazy past. But look at what God did with them despite what they had done. Despite their past, they show up in the earthly lineage of our Savior and the Messiah. He knows your past, and he still wants to be involved in your present and your future. That brings us to our final thought. If you let him, that's key, if you let him, Jesus will heal your past, live in your present, and plan your future. Your past doesn't bother him. He died for all of our timeline. What Jesus did on that cross and when he walked out of that grave was good for everything you've ever done, everything you're going to do, and everything you have planned past today let's pray dear father we thank you god for the sacrifice that you gave for us we thank you for the fact that you gave your life for us when we certainly don't deserve it that you gave and gave and gave and that you see us with love not with judgment not with anger not with wrath but you look at our past and you still say i love you you look at our future and your words still say i love you and you look at our future and say, I want you to come with me and be in my Father's house that I have prepared for you. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just move every heart here today to accept you unconditionally, to follow you wherever that path may go, to love one another, to love you, and to serve both. We love you, God. Thank you for 2023. Thank you for the eve of 2024 and whatever it brings, we know God is still our Savior and He's still on the throne. In Jesus' name I pray.